Hey guys, and welcome to the Pace Racing Podcast Experience, the Canadian Triathlon Podcast made in mind for the age group triathletes. Today's guest is Melissa Hoschild. So I'm excited to be connecting with Mel today because not only is she another SCOTI advocate like myself, but she also probably has the biggest list of accolades in triathlon that quite frankly I've ever seen. Now, I've never been one to list everything out, but to highlight a few of her stats here, she was a two times Ironman 70.3 world champion, an ITU long distance world champion. She's a 30 times Ironman 70.3 champion. She has 23 course records and the most sub four hour 10 minute Ironman 70.3s held by any female. And the list honestly just goes on. Now, Melissa actually owned the Ironman world record by a female with a eight hour, 31 minute and five second win at the Ironman North American championships back in April, 2018. Of course, until that record was broken in October, 2018 by Daniela reef with Daniela's win in Kona. So she essentially, and I kid you not, has won every big Ironman race possible except for the Ironman World Championships in Kona. So Melissa has had a couple attempts at Kona, but she's had no luck and she's on a mission to get that Kona title, which we talk about in this episode. Now, leading up to the podcast, I unfortunately had Mel message me saying she's in a cycling accident. She broke some of her bones and had to have surgery. And of course, it's a very unfortunate scenario for her. And we talked about this during the podcast at the beginning and what her plans are looking forward. So Mel, again, we're hoping for a speedy recovery for you and I'm glad you came on the show and talked us through this. We're obviously all rooting for you and we know you'll make a huge comeback. Mel also gives us some incredible insight on some of the most amazing races she's done. So if you're looking to fill up your bucket list with great races, then definitely listen in. And lastly, she also runs us through some of the best age group training and racing tips yet. I could go into more detail, guys, but I think it'll resonate with you that much more hearing it from her. So let's get started. Let's cue the music. So today's episode is brought to you by our two sponsors who I'm excited to represent. The first one is Scody. So I'm excited to talk about Scody because Scody has helped me design a new 2019 pacing racing triathlon kit that's now available for anyone to purchase up until April 8th. So this is super exciting and this is the first time these will be on sale. And if you haven't seen them yet, you can find all the information on my Instagram, which is again at pacing.an.racing. So the link to the store will be available in the bio or what's probably easiest if you type in Scody Pacing Racing in Google, then the store will come up and there's no problems that way. So again, Scody is spelled S-C-O-D-Y. So I'll be representing this kit proudly at my upcoming races this year. And if you're a big fan of the content or just simply look for one awesome kit to wear this season, then uh, be sure to put an order in. Now, they've taken the Pacing Racing design and the concept for the triathlon suit and they've applied it to cycling jerseys, running shirts, cycling shorts, even the brace and bib style shorts. They have sleeveless tri suits and running caps and, and just a lot more, guys. So the best part is it's available for both men and women. Now, if you haven't seen the design yet, then it's an awesome turquoise on navy design. It has the pacing racing logo on the chest. And honestly, it just looks absolutely awesome. So I'll be posting the link to the store all over my social media. So again, if you're following me, pacing racing on instagram facebook youtube or your subscriber to the email list or even on this podcast then definitely take a look so any questions of course you can direct message me on instagram now i've always done a ton of research when i buy something for triathlon because i mean as we all know it's super expensive sports so what i've recognized most is the most expensive product doesn't always mean it's the best product and that's why i love this scody brand because they offer the professional grade design and material but offer it in a price range that both you and I as age groupers can afford. 
And like I said, you'll get a ton of life out of your apparel because all their apparel is professional grade. Wearing it, you won't find chafing on long runs and won't suffer the wear and tear like many of the cheaper products do that are on the market today. So, I mean, if you want to check them out, you can find them on Instagram by searching at Scody AUS or go to www.scody.com. And if you're on Facebook, you can search Scody Australia. Now, the second sponsor is a brand that has been dating back to 1993 and has held the test of time, and that's Blue 70. Now, Blue 70 is a triathlon and swimwear company that are probably most well-known for their professional quality wetsuits, but they also have a massive inventory of swimwear like swim skins, jammers, gear bags, goggles, and pool accessories. Now, what exactly are pool accessories? They're basically anything to help you train the pool, like hand paddles, pull boys, kickboards, and even the core shorts for buoyancy. So, and also for the crazy swimmers out there who also go in the open water as early as March in places like Canada, they have the thermal swimmer options, which will help you in the colder temperatures. Now, Blue 70 is known to have some of the best wetsuits, swim skins, jammers, and pool accessories. So if there's something you want to try out, then definitely look into them and be sure to check out their website. Now, I personally wear the Helix Men's Wetsuit, and it's my favorite wetsuit I've ever worn because honestly, it's so snug and there's absolutely no restriction. And the nicest feature I find is that the zipper does up from the neck and sits down at your lower back when it zips. So you won't find any chafing from the zipper on your neck, which was always a big thing I noticed in prior wetsuits that coming out of the water, my neck would just be so red and so sore from the chafing of the zipper. Now, it's a super cool wetsuit. In fact, I'm getting to wear the same wetsuit as some of my favorite idols like Braden Curry and Lionel Sanders. It just makes it that much better. So I mean, for all of you who are curious to see more Blue 70, then definitely check out my YouTube channel, Pacing and Racing. I just posted a video on Blue 70 gear review. So in there, I'll go in depth talking about the wetsuit, their pool accessories, and how to decide if you want a swim skin or what type of wetsuit you might require for your skill set and your budget. So if you're searching for basically anything for your swim training and swimwear, which everyone's always looking for ways to improve their swim, then definitely go ahead and check out Blue 70 on Instagram, which is at Blue 70 or go to www.blue70.com. If you're on Facebook, you can search Blue 70. Melissa, welcome to the Pace Racing Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah, no worries. Um, obviously, thanks so much for coming on the show. It means a lot that you've... Uh, taking the time today to come on and talk. So uh, we've been looking forward to connecting for quite a while now. And it wasn't until the other day you uh, had messaged me saying that you got into a, a bit of a cycling accident. So uh, can you tell us a little bit what happened? It sounds like um, you had a couple broken bones and you had to have surgery. Yeah, I was riding with my local bunch um, and I don't exactly know what happened. All I remember is I, I got caught up on the, the inside of a guy's wheel. So I'm not sure if I just over anticipated the pace or he jumped out of his saddle and it came back to me but I just knew I was in a sticky situation and then I don't remember anything from there until I was in the ambulance but yeah so I broke my left collarbone and broke my right elbow and ripped the triceps off so it's going to be a bit of a long rehab period but hopefully it all goes smoothly. Jeez, yeah, that sounds a very terrible incident. It sounded like you wrote that it was about three months for the tricep tendon to knit to the elbow, and then you said about four to five months you'll start rehab? Yeah, um, so the collarbone will heal really quickly. That's been plated, um, and the elbow, the bone will, will heal pretty quickly too, um, I guess because there's bone marrow and lots of blood and all that. But the tendon, um, yeah, he said three months before I can even – 
um, do a full contraction with it. Um, until then, I'm only allowed to do passive movements. Um, and then, yeah, start rehab after that. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure I can get on a bike on, on the kicker, ride indoors a lot before that. And um, maybe I'll just have to start power walking upstairs because I'm guessing I can't put too much bounce through it just yet. But, um, yeah, it could be a while before that tricep completely heals. For sure, eh? No. I, now, how was the cyclist in front of you? Um, they were okay? Yeah, nobody else came down. Um, yeah, I was, I was sitting on the ground and um, apparently it took about 50 minutes for the ambulance to arrive and it felt like two minutes to me, but um, I guess I was heavily concussed and all I kept asking apparently was, did anyone else come down and what month is it? And then I'd wait a few minutes and then I'd say the same thing again. Um, so luckily nobody else came down, <laughs> um, just me. And the guy in front said all he felt was like a bit of drag on his wheel, so he didn't actually know what was going on and then... Everyone just heard the, the clank and the, yeah, crashing. And so, yeah, just me. <laughs> Jeez, eh? Now, now, I had a good friend of mine who had gotten in a pretty bad cycling accident. And, I mean, to this day, like, he personally hasn't rode a, on a bike since. It, it was just kind of the end career for him. But, like, there's, there's people out there at the same time in the same scenario, like Matt Russell. And uh, they basically just got back on the bike and never looked back. And, of course, with any accident, there's always that sort of emotional trauma on top of the, the physical trauma. And, like... Uh, as of right now, it sounds like you might be getting back into triathlon then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't think it will scare me. Um, you know, I've, I've had crashes before, nothing as bad as this. Um, but even just a month ago, I had a little stack on my mountain bike and a few stitches in my arm and straight back out there. Um, I, obviously, the first ride in a bunch will be a little bit sketchy. I'll, I'll make sure I keep plenty of room. But, um, yeah, no, I love riding with the guys and I, I love the bunch rides and yeah, I, I don't think it will scare me away. <laughs> no, for sure. And I guess being a mountain biker as well, you probably have, like you said, quite a bit of experience on quite a bit of accidents here and there. It's just natural, I guess, with the yeah. with the sport. Yeah, yeah. There's there's always you know little little crashes. Um, everyone has the the famous tattoo on the side of their hip, the scar of of sliding off and everything. Um, but yeah, like I like I said, I just love riding with the guys, and I've always felt safe in the bunch. Um, I'm not sure what happened there. If, you know, maybe I just over-anticipated the pace and just got ahead of myself. Um, but, you know, these things happen. And I've been riding with groups of guys ever since I started um, riding a bike and I've never had a, a bad crash. So, yeah, I guess maybe it was time for it to happen. But <laughs> hopefully never again. Yeah, exactly. No, hopefully hopefully that was the last time. But, uh, of course, obviously we're all wishing you a speedy recovery. And, obviously, we'll be rooting for you to uh, get back on the bike as, obviously, as soon as you can and once you're ready and, and prepared for um, your next race, which, of course, like obviously you don't have planned out right now, eh? I think you kind of rode off 2019 for now or see how it, we yeah, I, um Yeah, the first few days I was just devastated and I was just like, okay, it's March. Um, I'll take this long to heal and I'll be able to get back training here and, you know, just planning the whole thing out as we – obsessive obsessive triathletes do um and working out when I could get back racing and and then you know I just after that I I just came home and I threw my race schedule in the bin and I thought no that's it's not healthy um just forget about triathlon for a month so that's what I plan to do I'm not even going to look at my bike or anything like that um just try and refresh find some new hobbies for a little while and just let myself heal mentally and physically, I guess. Um, and yeah, then when I feel like I'm ready, I'll, I'll get back on the bike and get back into it and then start planning races. 
Perfect. Yeah. I, I think that's a smart way of looking at it too. I think you're right. <laughs> Triathletes tend to be sort of the obsessive, especially when it comes to scheduling. So it's, it's funny you said that. So it's good. You kind of recognize that early on and no, I think that's a smart move. Yeah. Well, I've had, I've had a few surgeries now and I have, I've just jumped straight back in and like even after the last surgery for endofibrosis, um, within four weeks, um, I was already thinking about Kona the following year. Um, so this was November last year. So it's, you know, just under a year out and I'm already thinking about Kona and qualifying races and how I'm going to get there and all of this stuff. And I was just like, no, this is just not going to do that this time. It's just so much stress on you. Um, oh, yeah. when at the moment I just need to take all that stress off and I'm sure I'll heal a lot faster if I just forget about being a triathlete for a couple of months. No, yep, for sure. No, I totally agree with that. Well, now let's uh, let's let's take it back a bit. Then let's let's talk about your journey into triathlon because you weren't always a, a triathlete. You started out as a runner. So, can you tell us a bit about your running background and sort of how it led into the career of triathlon? Yeah. Um. I, so I started running when I was eleven years old. You know, just doing the school cross countries and track and field, and um, just yeah, fell in love with that and made my first international team when I was fifteen and. Um, always just thought I'm going to be an athlete. I'm, I'm going to be a runner. I'm going to go to the Olympics, and um, just each time major races rolled around. Well, the Olympics. I, I qualified for a couple of Olympics, but each time it got close to the Olympics, I'd get an injury, and um, that's when I um, bought a road bike and just started riding. Started riding with a local cycling group, and um, didn't tell them I was a runner or anything. They they asked a few times, like you've never ridden a bike before, and because I was keeping up and um, I just didn't want to mention anything. I didn't want to think about running. It was just like, this is just to keep me fit and until I get back to it. And then I actually really fell in love with cycling and um, I wanted to become a cyclist, but you can't, females can't really financially make it in cycling. Um, and, you know, I'd never swum before and, so that didn't really cross my mind to become a triathlete. I thought, okay, well, I just I can keep riding it a bit and I can go back to being a runner. And, and then one of the guys in my cycling club, who's now my manager, he kept saying, what about triathlon? I was like, oh, I can't swim. I, um, obviously, I, I grew up on a beach, so I can, I can swim to save myself, but I just don't like swimming. Um, and he just kept pestering me. So eventually I thought, you know, I'm just going to go along to this swim squad show him how bad I am and then he'll get off my back and um so I went along and I said you know you're not that bad you know we can work on you and and then I just started thinking over the next um month or so you know this is the way I can ride and run I just got to put up with the swim so so that's how I got into triathlon (laughs) that's amazing no it's amazing story to hear that and I mean it's a good thing you did get into triathlon because you kind of look back uh, since you started doing it it is it uh, 47 pro triathlon wins? Is it, is it 47 still or do you have more than that? Uh, it's, yeah, it's something it's like around that. around there, right? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> my husband keeps track. He, he does my website and everything. So, yeah. That's awesome. No, that, that's completely unbelievable. So like, when you look back on all those achievements, are there any a few memorable moments that sort of stand out above all others? Um, yeah, there's uh, obviously the world champs. Um, you know, that, that's massive ones. Um, but I think some of the, the ones that I remember the most, just the ones that are totally different and out there, like some of the Asian races, um, racing in Abu Dhabi, things like that. Like the, 
the thing with triathlon is it's like the whole experience as well. You you go to these crazy destinations and every course is different and the people are just amazing and you know racing with the age groupers you just don't get any of that in running and even all my running races I'd race around the world but I you know I I can't even remember half the places I went to because all I saw was the track um so yeah it's just yeah there's there's lots lots that stand out and um especially the ones in Europe too I love racing in Europe and I've, I've based in Boulder for quite a few years now and um, love that place and love that race. So yeah, I don't think I could pinpoint just one. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it makes sense. And actually, so let's talk a little bit about that. So uh, of course, yeah, like I said, I always love trying to find races that you can have a good experience overall, not just on the race itself, but also like traveling there and, and having a little bit of a vacation afterwards or just something, something new and something different. So for those age groupers who are looking to sort of fill their race bucket list up with either like great 7.3s or full Ironman courses, are there any few that you recommend um, based off like the atmosphere or the beautiful scenery? Yeah. Um, so in, in America, I've always liked Timberman um, in New Hampshire. Um, maybe it's not so different for, for Americans, but for us, like it's just, it's like what you see on the movies. Um, you're just expecting a bear to come out around the corner, around all the trees and everything. Um, <laughs> but I just, I, I love that place. And I had a really great experience there. I had an awesome homestay and well, all the people at all the American races are just so into it. And, um, you know, that really helps with the vibe. Like Australians are a bit more quieter and not quite the hype at the races that you get in America. Um, so that was a standout one. Um, another one of my favorite ones is Phuket. Uh, it's, it's changed a bit now, but it used to go up these crazy hills, um, 24% inclines and, um, the descents were just down this crazy mossy road. Um, I slipped out a few times, but, um, (laughs) nothing too bad. It's all just fun and you finish racing, um, running down the finish line with an elephant and, the Asian people are just so lovely. Um, so yeah, that, that was another favorite one. I like the Europe ones with all the cobblestone streets and and stuff like that. Again, it's just different. So yeah, (laughs) there's a few. No, that's awesome. And yeah, the, the one in Phuket that you're talking about, that that was the one I was actually going to ask you because I saw you had a photo of there was an elephant beside you at at the finish line. I thought that was so amazing because it's just something I wouldn't see around here in Canada. So it makes you think when you start traveling around the world, it'd just be such a completely different experience to see some of these races. Yeah, that, that was an amazing race. Um, they don't do the elephant now. Um, they have a, a man dress up as an elephant now, but yeah, oh. if you won the race, the, the baby elephant would run down the finish line with you and he'd hug you and kiss you. And that's probably the photo you've seen the elephant kissing me. That was a bit of a surprise. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, it's just such an amazing experience. And um, the Asians, they're just, you know, they they have nothing compared to, you know, the Americans and the Australians and stuff there in Phuket. But they're just so happy and just so loving. And, um, yeah, that is one of my my favorite races of all time. Awesome. No, that's really cool. And so let's switch it up a bit. Um, Obviously, one thing we haven't touched on yet is Kona. So let's talk a little bit about Kona because it looks like you raced there in in 2016 and 2017. Um, Now, how did those go and and how did it feel racing in Kona? Uh, Yeah, I I have not had a good experience at Kona. Um, I first decided to race Kona in 2014. Um, 
did did my qualifying race and then um it was actually three days before the 70.3 worlds i had a massage and um it went terribly wrong and i walked out with a strained peck and dislocated rib and so that put me out of kona the first year and first i thought um you know maybe i just jumped in too early i'm, I'm still new at this sport and i've got plenty of years I'll, I'll give it a go next year and then the following year i um sustained a broken rib on my back from started off as coughing um i must have caused a little fracture didn't know what it was um raced melbourne ironman on it got a massage turned into a full-on fracture and um it's it's still actually fractured today it's a non-union fracture today um so i couldn't get that figured out that wiped me out of the next kona um and then the next three pretty much wiped out due to the endofibrosis twice in the left leg and once in the right um so yeah only one race i finished at kona and that was after my surgery went terribly wrong i lost massive amounts of blood um i was just a mess and i think i finished 14th or something so it was totally not what i wanted um and then yeah last year I, I missed out because the endofibrosis formed in the right leg so to me it, it feels like i i haven't raced kona yet <laughs> you're right no One and day. it's it's true eh? like honestly that's just a, a bad string of luck over so many years of just trying to do kona so it it's crazy to see because really it seems like you've won essentially everything you can win except except kona and it's just and it's just nothing more than just a string of bad luck or injuries or something leading up to it. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate. So, and I guess kind of the way we're looking at 2019 as well, it's the same boat, right? But I mean, 2020 maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just need to take my focus off Kona being everything. Um, like you said, I've won everything else there is to win. Um, you know, I can, I can win the 70.3 world champs. I can win regional champs. Ironmans. I, I broke the world record last year in the Ironman. Like, but when it gets to Kona, something majorly goes wrong and it hasn't been that I've just had a bad race or a little niggle or it's all been major injuries, major problems that are totally out of my control. And, um, you know, ever since 2015, my focus has just been on Kona and, and everything else has just been a stepping stone to Kona. And even last year I won Ironman Texas and broke the world record and, you know, that's a huge achievement. But to me, I kind of just like, yay, I won. Okay, get that out of the way. I've got to think about Kona. Um, and it's just, you know, I think that's what's been hurting me. It's just I'm, I'm putting too much into it and I forgot to enjoy the journey. Uh, so, yeah, after this, it's just made me realise that it, it's not all about Kona and it doesn't matter if I win or lose. And, you know, I'm sure I can win Kona as soon as I want to win it. Like at the moment, I feel like I have to win it. And so, you know, I'm doing it for other people. I'm, I'm doing it for sponsors. I'm doing it for fans. I'm not doing it for myself anymore. Whereas every other race I start, I'm doing it for myself. Like I want to win it. Whereas Kona, you know, even after the last surgery, I was already thinking about the next Kona and I was out walking one day and I was saying to myself, I have to win Kona next year. I just keep screwing up. I have to win it. And that's when I, I caught myself and I was like, you don't have to win it. Like if you want to win it, you can win it. <laughs> so something in my head's got to change there. <laughs> right? No, it's true. Like your the accolade list there itself kind of proves that you're you're a huge contender for it. But I think I, I really like that perspective on it. It's true. I guess 
most triathletes just put such an emphasis on Kona as like the be all end all. So in that all the whole race season, it's all it's nice if you win sort of thing, but it all leads to Kona. So I, I think you're right because at the end of the day, it's just one race. And and as we all know, just you could be sick the day before Kona, or you can have an injury leading up to it. It's just, it's sort of hard to just put everything all in that, but one basket, right? So I think that's a, a really good yeah. perspective you're looking at. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think of Kona as it's so different to every other race and you need a whole year to prepare for it. And it, you know, it's, it's no different to any other race. You know, I raced Ironman Texas in April off very little training. I was nowhere near in what I would say Kona shape, yet I had the race of my life. So, you know, we don't need a whole year to prepare for Kona. We only need a couple of months. We're, we're fit all year round. If, as long as you're fit and healthy, um, you know, you, you, it's no different to any other race out there. But for some reason, we, we think it is and we put so much more emphasis on it. And that's what I'm going to stop doing and <laughs> kind of kind of say, you know, I don't, I don't care about it. It's not that important to me. If I can just shave off 10% of the effort I'm putting into it, I'm, I'm sure I'll have a much better race there. Awesome. No, it's true. And you're right. It's just a huge mental block. I think it's almost like a negative that it's near the end of the season because you're just, you went through an entire rugged season of racing and training and racing and you just hope that you're not injured by, by the end. So <laughs> I think that's the thing. We just all go into it going, Oh, I hope I can stay together. I hope I can be in good shape in October. You know, like, of course you can, you can be in shape in April. You can be in shape in August. Why can't you be in shape in October? Like, I think, yeah, yeah. a lot of people just have that mental block. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, awesome. That's cool. So now aside from uh, Kona, I guess, what would be one of the most grueling or challenges courses that you've ever done? And uh, what about it made it so difficult? Um, oh, probably the toughest race I've done um, is Abu Dhabi. It's, it's kind of an odd distance one. It was a 4K swim, 200K bike, and a 20K run. Um, that That's probably the toughest. Um, I've won it two years. Um, yeah, I think two, two or three. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, it's so hot, so windy, and, you know, you really got to nail your nutrition there. And um, the last time I did it, I, I dropped all my nutrition um, and – with 50k to go I was totally out of water even and I went to grab a bottle at the aid station and and I missed it and there was no more aid stations and um I got to t2 there in a really really bad way and um I didn't know how I was going to get to the finish um I got to t2 first but I had Yvonne Van Vlerken um not too far behind me and she ended up catching me on the run and I thought this is it's all over I'm I'm just like crumbling and then somehow I just, yeah, picked it up and ended up catching her again and, and ended up winning the race. But, um, but yeah, that was probably the toughest race and I've never been so excited to see a finish line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's crazy. And it, it, it's good to hear stories like that. And because, I mean, so I myself am from Canada, so just kind of naturally I would think to look for all races sort of near Canada or North America of that, that amount. And it's just kind of, it's nice to sort of expand the, the horizon, just sort of look at different challenges in different races all around the world. And so it's, that's why I've been kind of want to ask a couple questions towards you because it seems like you've been all over the place and got to experience many races. So I think it's, it's very cool. It's good to hear. And that's, that's one to be honest with you, I would have never thought you would say. So that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess when you live in Australia, every race is far away. <laughs> yeah. So, 
even if we want to race in in Australia, like Western Australia, um, you know, Bustleton, it takes six hour flight to get there. Then it's two hour drive out to the race. Um, we haven't even left our, our country. So, um, yeah, so I guess it's a good thing being so far away that I can, you know, I can go everywhere. And um, I guess if you live in America, you tend to just stay in America because there's so many races there. Or if you live in Europe, you, you just stay there. But yeah, been lucky to get all over the world and experience all types of races. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And hey, you're right. Like if you're going to travel, you might as well travel somewhere unique and, and different. So that's, that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> so yeah. now I'm actually scrolling through the gallery right now on your, your website. You're, it looks like you're wearing, of course, all the, the Scotty kits, which is awesome because um, as all the, the listeners know, Scotty's a, a big sponsor of this podcast. So of course, obviously I'm a big, big fan of them. Now, how long have you been with Scotty? It looks like you've been with them for quite a while. Yeah, they were my very first sponsor, actually. Um, so before I'd even done my, my first triathlon, um, so my first triathlon, I, I had nothing. I was cycling around still in my running gear. Um, so my manager, so at that time, he was just a friend in my cycling club. Um, he he knew Scotty and um, said, you know, can you just give her a race kit? <laughs> so I kind of looked apart. Um, so I, I had my own race kit, but I was in a borrowed wetsuit, borrowed absolutely everything. Um, so yeah, and then I won my first race and then yeah, got on board with Scotty and haven't looked back. That's cool. No, I love, I love to see the loyalty and it's funny. Yeah. Because I, I know people tend to switch sponsors sort of every now and then it's just a natural uh, course of the, the sport. Right. So uh, that was just something that stood out to me is, yeah, you've been, you've been representing that kit for so many years. And of course every year it seems like it's changing. You've got so many different styles of Scotty kit. So that's, that's pretty cool to see, but I'm always telling my listeners sort of every episode, just how amazing that brand is and just the kits and the quality and just coming from Australia, it's something that isn't as common. It's probably a lot more common in Australia than it is in Canada. So I'm just trying to pump the tires here in Canada. So it's yeah, yeah, we, we need to get it worldwide. Because <laughs> That's it's right. Such a fantastic kit. And, um, you know, everything's made in Australia at the factory. Like if you ever get a chance to come to Australia and, and go to their factory, you'll, you'll see the people sitting there on the sewing machine, sewing it all. And, it's just such good quality and yeah I've, I've stayed with them for all these years too because you know they they gave me a kit when I hadn't even done a triathlon they didn't know who I was it just you know they didn't have to do that and um they're the sponsors I really want to stick with forever and um you know the ones that got me started oh for sure yeah I like that now let's, let's sort of switch up. Let's talk about some advice for age groupers. Now, obviously you're a great person to go to for this. Now, I guess first off would be to ask some advice for people who may have sort of hit a rough patch, whether um, it's an injury or sort of a setback in their training. So um, of course, as we already just discussed with your, your past with injuries leading up to some races, um, how do you, how do you manage to keep focused and sort of keep that spark for the sport and, and the passion for triathlon still going and sort of, uh, what are some tips that you can sort of give people who might be sort of withdrawn or pulled back from the sport because of their setback or because of their injuries? Uh, yeah. Um, so with triathlon, because there's, you know, three disciplines, usually if you get an injury, you're not wiped out of all three, unless you do a funny stunt like I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so usually you can still do, you know, at least one or two of them. Um, so you can still kind of keep sane. And, uh, you know, if I do get a little needle and I can't run for a little while, I think, well, you know, I really need to work on my swim. So it's a good chance to spend a few more hours in the pool and, and work on that. So I think that's how 
I, I get through. It's not like I, I'm just sitting on my butt and I can't do anything. Um, but there's also other things like if I can't run, I, I usually get on the elliptical machine. Um, I think that's – I've actually done – lots of races just off elliptical training instead of running um so there's ways you can get around it and still that still mimics a run technique um and it's a really hard workout um i work on my strength a lot of the time when i get injured um so a lot more core work and pilates and um so yeah there's always other things you can do i I think you just gotta injuries come with it everybody gets injured and um yeah to to get around it we just got to keep our head together and stay fit and focused and um I guess the main thing is don't let it get you down um stay happy and and if you can't do anything try not to think about triathlon and just take your mind completely off it go find another hobby for a little while um you know there was a little while there I was out on a paddleboard every day and um just doing that and just loving it and not even thinking about triathlon and you know I'm still getting fitness um and it does transfer the that's the thing like with running if you get a as a runner if you get a running injury you're just like I don't want to get on the bike you know I don't want to bulk up or I don't want to change my fast twitch to slow twitch but but with triathlon it's just all about fitness and a big aerobic base and you can get that from so many other things awesome it's true right like and like we just mentioned earlier in the podcast that people sort of get strung up on the idea of they're, they're going to miss this next race or what race are they going to be able to do next because they're, they're injured. But I guess I like that perspective that, you know, just keep fit whatever way you can. Right. And there's different avenues. And like you said, if your injuries keep you away from training in general, then like there's other hobbies to kind of focus on, then come back to triathlon when you're able to. But I think the whole, like you said earlier, just keeping your mindset off of what race you're going to do next. I think that's, I think that'll be a huge thing for helping people kind of get through that roadblock. Yeah, and I guess it's different for age groupers because they don't do as many races as the pros and they might want to target races close to them or, or something like that. But um, the one thing I've learned from, from this injury is, you know, don't don't think about the next race while you're still injured. Um, throw your race schedule in the bin. Um, can that. Get over the injury first. Get back fit and healthy and then find another race. And there's so many races on in triathlon that, you know, there's going to be something not too far away from you, probably. <laughs> awesome. No, that's good. And so now seeing as obviously you're an incredible runner with your running background and you're one of the best in Ironman 70.3. So I thought this would be a pretty fitting question. Now, what, what advice can you give the age groupers out there um, sort of who struggle to try to increase their pace on the run in the 70.3 distance? Like, should they focus more on strength training so that they have like fresher legs up the bike or just incorporate more brick sets? Or um, I think a lot of people struggle when they just jump up to the 70.3 distance that like their, their run, they just have nothing left. So how, how can they sort of work on that? Uh, yeah, well, the the running's the hardest on the body, so you know you don't want to do too much because that's most of the time that's where the injuries arise. Um, so I I guess I do have the benefit of having years and years of running in my legs, but I still get the majority of my base miles off the bike, um, and I think it transfers really well to the run. And then I'd say for age groupers, if you if you want to try and get your speed up, um, a good thing I do is after your easy 30, 40 minute run or whatever, um, do some strides. So just 80 to a hundred meters and you just 
um, start off at about 50, 60%, but you're finishing at 100%, like you're sprinting at the end. Um, and then as much recovery as you need, walk back, do that, you know, four to six times at the end of a couple of your easy runs each week. And that'll improve your technique, improve your um, efficiency and and get you that speed. Um, and then, yeah, you, you're already fit because you do a lot of training, do a lot of miles on the bike or, or running. And, yeah, I think that really helps. It helps my speed. <laughs> no, awesome. That, yeah, very cool. I like that. Now, how can you direct someone to find out what their bike pace should be uh, for a 70.3 distance Ironman? Now, like obviously, uh, like I say that, I guess, because you can't necessarily just push your fastest on the bike and then, uh, well, I guess, I don't know if you could, but age groupers, I guess, tend, they can't just push the fastest pace on the bike and then run a pretty great, like pretty solid half marathon. So how do you recommend they find wattage that they, they feel comfortable with? Or like, do you, do you do this through like heart rate or perceived effort or what's your take on that? Yeah, um, you know, I raced many, many years without anything. Um, it wasn't until twenty late twenty fifteen that I got a power meter, um, and it wasn't until twenty sixteen that I actually looked at it in races. Um, so I actually think that's the best way to start off. Is then you get the feel. You you're not looking at numbers. You're not when you're looking at too much data, you lose that feel, and um, I think that that really throws you. So. I'm not saying take your power meter off or take your data off, keep it there, but just go out and ride and, and do your training and then come back and look at it after and just see, oh, okay, so that's kind of the power I held for my 20 minute effort. And that's how I felt running off the bike. And, and then after, you know, a few months, just put it together and go, okay, that's kind of what I can hold. And that's how I worked out what power I could hold for a 70.3 and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I think I think the the all the technology it's it's helpful, but it can also be a hindrance. <laughs> For sure. Yep. No, I totally agree. And it's funny because I, I look back. I like to ask that question because I look back at my first half Ironman and I thought what I was doing was correct. So and I think if you don't know that you're doing it wrong, then of course it just it seems natural. But like I, I remember going based off just like pace per kilometer and or kilometers per hour. Sorry. And I just I remember looking back at that and I was like it didn't make much sense because one race might just have a lot more elevation or much just yeah. there'd be wind and there's so many other variables to it. So it's kind of nice to sort of direct people into like, like you said, be open and sort of understand your perceived effort because I was following a pace uh, of kilometers per hour. And when I got off onto the run, I was just like instantly cramping in the leg. So uh, like, yeah. <laughs> it's a good yeah, question like, for age groupers. Yeah. Kilometers per hour. Like it really means nothing. Even if your road's rough or you're, you know, one tire is a bit flatter than the other or, you know, anything can affect pace. Um, so power is a much better judgment. But, yeah, I think just go by feel at the start and, and, and get a feel for where you're at. And, you know, I know my power now. I know um, if I'm doing a 20-minute effort what I should be sitting on. But sometimes, you know, I've had a massive week and I can't hold that and then I just have to – you know, you got to be strong to do this, but you just got to switch your Wahoo off and just not look at it and just go, well, I'm putting the effort out there. I'm not hitting the number, but I'm putting the effort out there. And, um, yeah, I still think nothing, nothing beats knowing, um, the perceived effort. Awesome. No, it's true. And uh, do you tend to do any heart rate zone training or do you use heart rate much in racing? <sighs> no, I don't actually ever use heart rate. I, as a runner, um, so my resting heart rate's under 30. It's it's ridiculously low and, and my max heart rate 
I, I had a test when I was young, when I was at the Australian Institute of Sport, and they said my max heart rate was 160. And, you know, all my friends are getting theirs up well over 200, and I think I was 15 or 16 years old, and um, I just I didn't understand it. And, and my coach, he made me do use heart rate for one session a week just on our tempo session because um, he said, you know, this one's you got to go by heart rate. It's, it's not pace or anything like that. And my tempo heart rate was 140 when my friends were at 180 and everything. And I just kept – I always thought my legs blew up well before my heart ever did. <laughs> so after that, I was just like, I'm not looking at heart rate. I don't care about it. I know my heart will get me through the race. It's, it's my legs that blow up first. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's crazy. That's it's uh, really crazy to hear actually, because yeah, like you said, most people tend to base a lot of it off heart rate. So, but again, like, like power, like everything else, it's, it's a tool that you can use. But I think, like you said, the perceived effort is you can't fake that. There, there's no variables to that. Like it just kind of how, how it works for you. So I think that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I understand people going by heart rate and going by power and going, going by all of this. Um, but yeah, I was just getting more frustrated that I couldn't get my heart rate up. And then I was thinking, oh, there's, there's something wrong with me because my legs are tired and I'm running three minutes a K, but my heart rate's still not rising. So um, to me, it was just doing my head in. So I was just like, nah, I don't, don't need heart rate. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, no, I mean, talking about choosing a bike setup now, I guess for different styles of courses, do you obviously you have a pretty solid bike background now? Do you stick to one particular setup with like your wheels, your cassettes and crank and all that, or, or do you switch it up based off sort of what course or what type of environment you're riding in? Uh, yeah, I, I like to keep it pretty simple. I don't, I don't usually change much. Um, you know, for the, the big races and if, um, so I'm sponsored by SRAM. So if they're at races, um, I'll ask them, you know, should I change my cassette or should I, um, what wheels should I use or, or stuff like that? Um, but, you know, if I'm just on my own, I kind of just stick with what I know. Um, obviously, if it's something like a Phuket race where you've got a 24% incline, I'll, I'll put like a 28 or something cassette on, um, something that can make sure I can get up the hills. <laughs> um, and, and the wheel choice, um, I'll race a disc wherever possible unless it's really hilly or really windy, um, usually a equivalent of a 404 or 808 on the front. Um, but yeah, I, I keep it all pretty simple. I'm, I guess I'm, a, a more into, um, I just love the, the training and the hurting myself and stuff like that rather than um, too much into the technology and, and yeah, all that. <laughs> awesome. That's, oh, that's cool. I like that. Now for swimming, obviously you said in the past, it's, it's not one of your strong suits compared to the bike and the run. Now, obviously I'm sure many age groupers out there have a similar style where the swim is just naturally the weak point. So what's some advice you can give them in terms of like fitting swim into the training schedule and, or becoming a better triathlete through the swimming? Yeah, swimming's a real tough one. Um, I think if, if you didn't learn to swim when you were really young, it's really hard to pick it up. Um, I, people don't believe this, but I actually haven't improved in the swim since day one of jumping in the pool. Um, I just swim off pure fitness. If, if I'm fit from bike and run, I'll swim the same time. Um, if, if I'm, you know, if it's off season and I've lost a bit of fitness on the bike, my, my swim suffers as well. And, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do there. I've been to so many coaches. I've <laughs> tried all different techniques and 
and nothing seems to change. So um, I've, I've actually tried big mileage as well, 30 plus K a week. I've tried not swimming at all um, and it doesn't change. So I kind of think for me, it's it's just a bit of a mental thing. If I swim 15, 20 K a week, I, I've ticked the box and, and that's kind of what works best for me. Um, I don't get too tired from it and don't get too tight, but you know, I feel like I've, I've done enough to get through. <laughs> Awesome. No, it's true. And, and I mean, I think that's good for so many age groupers to hear and especially myself, because, you know, like you said, sometimes it doesn't matter how much, I guess you're, you're training in the swim. Like as long as you're training, I think that's the main thing, but I think there's just too much emphasis on, uh, especially for age group triathletes of just becoming like a, an amazing swimmer through triathlon. But I guess you kind of give it, kind of give it a little bit of leniency in that sometimes it, we're just not going to have the perfect te- technique. Right. And so it's good to see that someone, especially like world-class level, like, like yourself, that, uh, you can attest that of course your swimming is top notch. I think you're putting out some really good times, but, um, it's just, you're not like an uh, Olympic swimmer by any means. So I think that's, that's great to hear and makes it a little bit more practical, I guess, for age groupers to, to obtain. Yeah, I think I think there's there's still benefit in you know trying to find a good swim coach and and work on your technique and but yeah if you haven't learned as as a young athlete I don't think you're ever going to be world class swimmer it's just something that you got to learn at a very young age whereas biking and running I think it's more fitness based you you get fitter you get stronger you, you ride faster you run faster but yeah swimming is just a whole different different game but you know some people will jump in the pool for the first time and there's so many things you can fix with their, their stroke. So I, I highly recommend, you know, getting your stroke looked at and, and fixing what you can. But then once you get to that, that plateau and that's where you're at, I guess maybe just accept that and just work on fitness and hopefully you get a bit quicker just through being fitter. Perfect. No, I like that a lot. That's good to sort of, like you said, yeah, definitely put in the, the training and, and sort of master as best you can. But I guess just be aware that you might not have that perfect swim technique and just keep, keep working through it through fitness and just keep putting the time. So I think that's good advice. Yeah. Now, uh, sort of what's your race strategy, um, for nutrition, I guess on the 7.3 distance. Um, and if like, does it change, I guess, going to the full distance, what's your go-to? Um, yeah, so I use, uh, during the race, I use Goo Roctane. Um, so that's a, it's a high carb electrolyte powder. Um, I can't really stomach the gels and the, the real sugary stuff. So I, I tend to go with that. The liquid calories really watered down. Um, and that's all I'll use in a 70.3. Um, I'll have one gel on the run watered down in a flask. Um, and then in an Ironman, um, it's maybe a little out there for a lot of people, but I use Mars bars. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> so I use the Roctane powder on the bike as well as um, just mini Mars bars. So I'll have five or six of them. Um, and then on the run, just the, the gels or the Roctane powder really watered down. Or um, even better, I, I find, is just honey and water. Um, honey, water, and a bit of sea salt in a, in a flask. Um, it's just not so strong and potent. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty basic music, um, nutrition strategy. <laughs> awesome. That's cool. So now Mars bars, that's just simply because you like Mars bars or is there a little bit of nutrition packed in them or that you can use? Uh, no. Um, so my first Ironman, I, I used gels. Um, so I had the Roctane powder and gels as well. And it was just so much of a sugar overload and I just, 
by the time I got to the run, oh, I was on the portaloo like five or six times and just couldn't stomach anything for the run. So I thought I, I can't have that much sugar and, um, you know, Mars bars have got sugar, but they also got a bit of fat in them. And I found that that stopped me getting hungry and it just kind of settled my stomach a bit. Um, it wasn't just this massive shot of sugar alone. So um, I did that for my second Ironman and it worked. So I haven't looked back from there. <laughs> awesome. No, it's good. And it's true. A lot of people have problems with the gel packs. And I know of people who can stomach it, they swear by it. But others just, they it's, it's too much sugar or just the way the gel packs, are just it just doesn't work for them. So it's, it's nice to hear sort of how other people do it. And I guess at the end of the day is um, try try different things and see what works for you. Because um, I haven't tried the Mars bars, but it's something I definitely will try. <laughs> I would love to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely try it. Try it in training, and if it works, um, yeah, give it a go. <laughs> awesome. So now I'll switch it up a bit because um, so for those considering doing their first overseas race um, or a race that re- requires flying their bike somewhere, um, sort of what are some tips to sort of ease that experience while traveling? Um, I guess a lot of people ask this question, and even myself actually, I think about it. Like I haven't had to fly anywhere, like you were saying earlier in Australia. It's just something you commonly have to do, but a lot of people are wanting to do those races where they got to fly, but it just seems like such a, a hassle to get everything over there. So uh, do you have any traveling tips of like getting the gear shipped over? How do you coordinate all that? Uh, yeah. Um, I guess we have a lot of experience with, yeah, living in Australia. We've got to fly our bike everywhere. I don't think I've ever driven my bike to a race. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the best thing, get, get a good bike bag. Um, I use Cycon. It's so easy to pack, so easy to unpack and it's got four wheels on it. So you don't have to carry it. You just wheel it everywhere. Um, and then, you know, if I'm just going for little races, I'll try to just carry a backpack. Um, just, uh, you can fit a lot in the Cycon bag as well. If, if you do need extra stuff, but just, yeah, the, the less stuff, the better makes it easier. Um, and then obviously, you know, you, you worry about your, your bike getting damaged on the way over there. Um, I'll always take the main thing that breaks is the derailleur. So always carry a couple extra hangers. Um, but yeah, pat it real well and yeah, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. No, that's good. And now, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about safety on, on the roads. Now, obviously a lot of cyclists now these days, they tend to just get into triathlon and they pretty much just, um, they buy the, the indoor smart trainers and start using apps like, like Swift and, um, they get out cycling, but not as, as much as maybe, um, men used to before these indoor trainers. So, um, what's some advice? So when they get outdoors, obviously there's a lot of inherent dangers of the road and, um, being an indoor trainer, you don't get that technical handling of the bike. So from your experiences, what are some things uh, newer cyclists should be mindful of when they're, they're cycling outdoors? Yeah, I guess I'm lucky here. I live in a uh, great place to cycle. It, it's really safe. We have bike lanes everywhere and the, the cars are generally pretty good. Um, so I've never lived, you know, in a hectic, busy city where you can't ride. Um, but yeah, like I do see a lot of people training, every, everything's indoors and then they get to the race and they got no bike skills at all. So maybe um, they could find like a crit track or um, somewhere where it is safe, even if it's just round in, round in circles um, and just get the bike out at least once a week and get on the road and, and get used to handling it. And um, I tell a lot of triathletes around here that they're always riding their time trial bike as well. And um, I think you can get way better skills riding a road bike. So um, I'd 
yeah, I'd suggest getting the road bike out out a bit more and get your skills up that way and don't always, you know, just ride your time trial bike and, and get used to riding in a straight line, um, you know, try and do some sharp turns and go down some hills and, and yeah, I guess you just got to get out on the road to get the skills, but yeah, be safe. <laughs> that's it. No, Hey, that's a good point. Just time the saddle and, and you're right, road bikes. And a lot of people just tend to only start out with a, a tri bike naturally thinking that's what you should use for a triathlon. But you're right. Uh, a lot of handling would come from a road bike. So I think that's a, a good way, good way of looking at that. Yeah. Well, I see a lot of um, people trying to descend on a, on a time trial bike and they just don't know where to put their weight and you, you know, you can't, there's no drops. You can't really get down low enough and, and all of that. And yeah, I, I know you've got to descend in a race on a time trial bike, but if you just spend a little bit of time on a road bike, it, you, you'll just learn yourself where to, where to put your weight and how to lean. And um, it just really works on your skills and, and then that will transfer over to the tri bike. Perfect. No, that's, that's really cool. All right. So, so I want to try something on this podcast because there's obviously so many questions to uh, try to get through. So we'll, we'll do a one minute Q and a fire round. We'll see how many questions and answers we can pump out in one minute. So are you in for that? Yep, for sure. Fire away. All right, let's do it. Okay. So what's your favorite race distance? 70.3. What's your go-to pre-race breakfast? Rice, um, some cream, walnuts, banana, all mixed in together. <laughs> Perfect. What's your favorite local race? Oh, um, I don't have too many local races, so I'm going to have to say the Noosa Triathlon where I live. <laughs> awesome. Now, what's your, your best discipline between the swim, bike, and run? Best discipline? Um, I would probably still say the run, but I feel like my bike is nearly up there <laughs> perfect <laughs> what's the most beautiful place you've traveled to oh um oh, i'm going to say saint moritz perfect and who's your biggest influence in triathlon influence oh um you know before i started triathlon i hardly even knew what the sport was um but once I started getting into it, um, Chrissy Wellington, I, I really looked up to just such a strong, mentally strong, um, athlete and yeah, so I'll oh, say her. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And lastly, do you use Swift or do you ever do any racing on Swift? I don't, but I might be very soon. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's good. Perfect. Well, that's, that's pretty much a wrap. So obviously I can keep going all day. Um, but I won't keep you here any longer. You obviously got some other things to do today. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, for those who don't already follow you, where's the best place they can get all your content on? Um, my website, um, melissahowshult.com. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and, and Facebook, all under Mel Howshult. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much. And uh, loved having you on the show. And again, hope uh, nothing, of course, but a speedy recovery for you. And of course, everyone's thinking about you. And uh, we can't wait to see you get back out there. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. And yeah, hopefully I'll be back racing before the end of the year. <laughs> awesome. All right. Perfect. Take care. Thank you. See ya. Well, guys, there you have it. Mel Hoschild. She's one of the biggest names in triathlon and so full of knowledge and just such big inspiration. So thanks so much for coming on today mel and i'm so glad we have you on today's show now guys if you want to hear more podcasts like these then you can hit that subscribe button and you can follow me on instagram at pacing.and.racing and you can also find us on youtube by searching pacing racing
Now, of course, please remember that that Scody gear for the pacing racing kit is currently live and it's available to the public for purchase until April 8th. So if you do want to get your hands on one of those stylish looking kits, then you can find the link in my Instagram bio. And again, let me know if you're ordering one of the kits because I'll personally want to thank each, every single triathlete out there that's wrapping the pacing racing kit this year. It's going to be awesome. So I can't wait guys. And lastly, if you did like this episode, then please take two minutes, just to leave a kind review on the podcast channel as this helps us get heard by more listeners through the podcast platform algorithms. So other than that, guys, thanks a lot. And we'll talk to you next time.